Praise God. Thank you all for giving. It goes to support what we do around the world as a drop box as well. Some people are still giving, my brother. Thank you, thank you. What a wonderful time here today. Just look at your neighbor and say you're awesome. Just say you got so much awesomeness. How do you do it? I want to tell you some people that are awesome is our King's kids. Yeah, I'm telling you. Let me tell you how awesome our King's kids. They make the Barney kids, the Dora kids, and the Sesame Kids street kids look lame. They're going to put on an Easter presentation today. They're awesome. Sue Ellen, our children's pastor, put it together. So let's give it up for King's kids. Come on, let's give it up for King's Kids. Come on, guys, give me some high fives right there. If your kids ever get rambunctious, just say, go dance that Jesus dance. Man, I love seeing them give that energy for Jesus. How many of us in our hearts, without raising our hands, probably wish we started that young living for Jesus? By the time I was 10 years old, I was smoking. By the time I was 13 years old, getting drunk. By the time I was 18, I was a high school dropout, arrested eight times and on drugs. But it was my mother who led me to the Lord at a kitchen table and said, God still has got a plan for you. My friends, God still has a plan for you. 
And I'm so thankful that you came here today. We made a presentation called the Living Last Supper because the picture of Da Vinci says so much. What would it have been like to be hanging around Jesus that last night before he went to be crucified? That's what we want to portray before you today. What it was like to be those disciples and what it was like to be with Jesus and a betrayer that would sell it all out for 30 pieces of silver. Let's get ready for the presentation. Can you all make some noise? Amen. Thank you. Families love to gather around the table at supper time. It's a time they can laugh at each other's jokes, tell stories of their days, talk over their problems and plans for tomorrow, and generally share the love and warmth they have for each other. Everyone cherishes the emotional and physical nourishment received around the family table. Jesus and his family of 12 disciples were no different. They loved their times together and cherished those moments even more as Jesus began to speak of leaving them. At this Passover celebration, Jesus stood up and looked around and said to his disciples, Truly I say to you that one of you here will betray me. They wondered who it would be. Matthew a tax collector from the gates of Jerusalem. He remembers when Jesus first came around preaching. He had mixed emotions. He was a tax collector. He participated in shady deals and got rich off of other people's benefit as he stole from them. He looked like he was helping them, but on the inside he was hurting them and his heart for greed was growing larger and larger. Jesus talked about giving up everything Yet he didn't want to. All of his wealth, his prestige, and his everything, he would never be the same again. Yet in his heart, money couldn't satisfy. He was always longing for more, and at his soul's deepest part, it was at rest only for a moment. Then the money wouldn't satisfy, and his soul would become at rest again and again and again, and more money took away everything that he found peace in until his soul was at no more rest. He then heard Jesus say to him, Come unto me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you eternal rest that money cannot buy. At that moment, at that instant, he got off the merry-go-round of his job and money, and he gave his unrest soul to Jesus, who forever put it in his hands. How could he now turn his back on the lover of his soul. James, son of Alphaeus, he was a fisherman by trait and a follower of John the Baptist. He was curious, so he started to follow Jesus. And he heard Jesus begin to speak of a kingdom to come. Yet he didn't understand until one day he went to John the Baptist 
And Jesus asked him to baptize him. John the Baptist said, Jesus, I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. But James watched as Jesus got baptized by John the Baptist. He saw the Holy Spirit come down in the form of a dove, rest upon Jesus. And then he heard the voice of the Father say from heaven, This is my Son, and who I am well pleased. How could James now turn his back on the Son of God? James, son of Zebedee, he was the brother of John. He was put in charge of watching his younger brother and to go out fishing and take care of the family business. He was a good man, yet on the inside he knew that there was more to life than just his job and his religious experiences being a Jew. He began to seek for more as he saw Jesus come and teach, and he became a follower of Jesus yet he thought he was just an ordinary man. Until one day when Jesus was teaching 5,000 people, and he looked over, and he said to James, go give them something to eat. And James said, if we fished and worked all night, we couldn't provide for all of these. But yet James went out and found a child with five loaves and two fishes, gave it to the master and says, here's all that I could find. It's not much. Doubting in his heart that anything good would happen. Yet he watched Jesus pray, and as they went and fed, the people ate until they were full, and there were 12 baskets left over. He was convinced at that moment that Jesus was more than just a man. He was a miracle worker. How could he now turn his back on this miracle worker? Andrew, the brother of Peter, put in charge also of his family fishing business. Him and Peter knew what it was like to wake up early, work long, hard days, and provide for their wife and kids. When Jesus asked them to follow them, they knew that they had to give up everything, their family business, say goodbye to their wife and kids, and they didn't know when they would be back. Andrew struggled with this decision until one day he watched Jesus transform in front of him on a mountain and shone with the glory of God brighter than the sun. And he said that day, I will worship you as my Lord and my Savior. How could this Andrew who gave up everything for Jesus turn him back on the one that is brighter than the sun? Peter, sometimes known as the hot-headed one, rash, maybe even a bit conceited. Yet he gave up everything to follow Jesus as well. One day Jesus gave a hard teaching and thousands left. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, will you go back home too? But Peter said, I have nowhere to go. I believe you have the words of life. And it was those very words that convinced Peter to go out on the water and walk that day with Jesus. He saw him passing by. And Peter said to Jesus, if that's you, bid me to come and I'll come. Jesus said, Peter, come. And as Peter began to walk on the water, he looked at the waves and became afraid. And he began to sink. Yet Jesus rescued him and carried him safely back to the boat. How could this Peter who walked on water with Jesus now turn his back on him? Philip, he was also a disciple of John, a good man. And he put his faith in Jesus very quickly. He wasn't like the others. He was able to trust and see that Jesus was more than just a man. He remembers a time when they got off of the boat of Gadarenes. And they saw a man demon-possessed and out of his mind, stripped naked with chains broken all around him because men tried to bind him. But now he lived among the tombs as a madman. And yet Jesus spoke a word and delivered that man in front of him. And Philip knew at that moment that Jesus was greater than he had ever imagined. How could now Philip turn his back on the Jesus who delivers all people? Thomas, he was known as the doubter, cynical really, 
just trying to rationalize all that was happening around him. He would always try to figure things out before he put his faith and trust in anything he couldn't see. There was a time when Jesus said, let's go visit Lazarus. He has died. And Thomas said, sure, I'll go with you, Jesus. Maybe we might die too. You see, Thomas thought that all that Jesus would do would be bringing him more trouble and possibly suffer a martyr's death. Yet when Thomas joined Jesus at Lazarus' grave, Jesus did something he was never expecting. He spoke to Lazarus in the grave and said, Lazarus, come forth. And there before Thomas' eyes, he watched a dead man rise again. And then Jesus said to Thomas and his disciples, Loose that man from his grave clothes and let him go. This once doubter learned to put his trust in one who even raises the dead. John, just a teenager, the younger brother of James, he was quick and willing, ready to go, to dream big dreams. He was one that Jesus would say, here are the children. The kingdom of God belongs to them, for they have faith just the size of a mustard seed. John experienced some of the greatest moments with Jesus, recorded some of the most powerful sayings, for it was this teenager that heard Jesus say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And it was John, this young teenager of a man, that saw the Jews throw before Jesus a woman caught in adultery, ready to stone her and give her capital punishment for her sins. And they sneered at Jesus, what would you do? And John saw Jesus bend down right in the sand and look up at the accusers and say, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. John was even able to lay his head on the chest of Jesus called his beloved how now could John turn his back on the lover of his very own soul Thaddeus a cornerstone in the new kingdom chosen among the twelve he was there at the baptism the feeding of the five thousand when the dead were raised and demons were cast out yet he still had to make a choice on whether or not Jesus would be his king. He remembers when Jesus spoke one day about him coming and returning. He said, when I come, I'll come like a king. I'll separate all the peoples of the world on my right and my left. On the right, I will say to my sheep, enter into my forever kingdom prepared for you because you looked after the poor. You helped the hurting and the widows. And what you did unto them, you did unto me. And Thaddeus remembers Jesus saying, When I also come, I will say to those on my left who are like goats, You didn't care for anyone but yourself, and you were a worker of iniquity. Now depart from me, for I never knew you. How could Thaddeus turn his back on this soon incoming king? Nathaniel, he had an interesting meetup with Jesus. For he was from Galilee, and he was confident in his own race and his culture. He was hanging out with a new disciple of Jesus named Philip. And Philip said to him, Nathaniel, we found Jesus. He's the Christ, and he's in Nazareth. The prideful Galilean Nathaniel said, Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? But reluctantly, he followed his best friend Philip to meet Jesus. And while Jesus saw Nathanael far off, he said, Here's a man from Galilee that always speaks his mind. Nathanael fell at his knees and said, Master, how do you know me? And Jesus said, Before Philip ever called you under the fig tree, I've known you. How now could this Nathanael turn his back on the one who has known him even from his mother's womb? Simon, the zealot, the revolutionary, 
He was bloodthirsty. He was a part of the armed rebellion against the Roman government. He was a liberation fighter. He was willing to die like David in a mighty battle against the Romans. Maybe Simon might betray Jesus just so that Jesus would be forced to fight and so that Jesus would have to now show his real kingdom strength. Yet this revolutionary heard Jesus speak about a new kingdom, a kingdom that taught to love your enemies, to pray for those who despitefully use you and rejoice in the midst of persecution. This revolutionary changed his heart from hate to love. How now could he betray his general? Judas, known as Judas Iscariot from Galilee, he was like all of the other disciples. He was chosen. He was called. He walked with Jesus. He saw the dead raised. He was there at the baptism, and he even saw the demons cast out. He was there when Jesus sent the 72 disciples to preach, and he even came back rejoicing, saying, even the demons submit when we just say your name, Jesus. Yet he became unhappy with the way Jesus was leading. Jesus promised a kingdom, but it wasn't coming quick enough. Things weren't changing fast enough, according to Judas, and his heart began to get hard, and he began to turn to temporal happiness. He began to look at what things could make him happy in this life, and his heart began to get hard. It became so hard that one day, when a woman put all she had at Jesus' feet, perfume worth a year's wages, and washed Jesus' feet with that perfume and her tears and her very hair, Judas said with a hard heart, what a waste. This woman could have given her money to the poor. And yet he knew that he would have stolen some of that money because Jesus trusted him to carry the money. He heard Jesus say, don't love money. He heard Jesus say, you cannot love two masters, one God and one money. You'll love one and hate the other, hate one and love the other. Yet his heart was hard. And it was at this table that Jesus said, did I choose you 12? And yet one of you is a devil. Judas was saying what so many of us have said at one time or another. Jesus, you're good, but you're just not good enough. I hear what you're teaching, Jesus, but I'm just not sure I want to follow all the way. Many of us have a Judas on the inside of us with our addictions to sex, our addictions to what money can buy and the things of this world. Families abusing one another with their words. Children growing up in broken homes. And yet we say we know Jesus. And yet like Judas, we betray him with what we do. Jesus still loved Judas, but Judas chose something else to love. When Jesus came to this world, the Bible says in Isaiah that he knew what he was coming for. It wasn't just for the righteous and those who do what is good. He was coming for the wicked. For as Romans chapter 3 says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none that is good. No one is righteous. Though the other disciples had repented of their sin and had been transformed on the inside, Judas stayed just the way he was. And yet Isaiah says he came for all sinners. Isaiah Hundreds of years before Jesus prophesied this. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. 
nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, and each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on on him the iniquity of us all. It was the cross of Jesus that bore the betrayals.
Come on, how many believe he raised again on the third day? Come on. If you believe he did it for you, say thank you, Jesus. Oh, I'm just telling you something right now. You can't watch that without getting moved. But you know what brought him to the cross? Our sins brought him to the cross. If you have your Bibles, look with me in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and onward. I want to encourage you today to hear what the Bible is saying. We're going to take communion in just a moment to represent this last supper, the grapes and the bread. But why did he have to die? He died for sinners like you and I. Some of you might be sitting here right now and you might put on your Mr. Big Britches pants and you would say, Pastor, I'm not a sinner like others. I don't murder. I don't kill. I take care of my family. I'm a good mother. Let me give you a good person test right now. Have you ever told a lie? If you have, you're a liar. Oh, well, Pastor, it was just one lie. No, what do we call somebody who murders just one time? We still call them a murderer. How about have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you, no matter how small it is and no matter how long ago it was, did you ever steal? We call those thieves. How about this one? Did you ever take the name of the Lord in vain? Did you blaspheme his holy name? How about this? When you were growing up, did you ever disobey your parents? And all the parents say amen. Have you ever coveted what somebody else had? Have you ever looked at what they had and said, man, I wish they had that. I had that instead of them. My friends, these are just some of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Thou shalt not covet. And you know what he said? Put the Lord thy God first above all things. My friends, according to the good person test, you and I have failed. And you know what happened when Jesus walked with disciples? He taught them that, that you must be born again. You must have a transformation on the inside of you that changes you to enter the kingdom. And yet they thought they could do it sometimes on their own by being good people. Look at what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3. He himself was a righteous Jew. What this meant in his day, he could quote the Old Testament at least the first five books from memory. And look at what he says in verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have counted all things as rubbish that I may gain Christ and that I may be found in him. You know what he said? Everything that I've done by going to religious school counts as garbage if I don't have Jesus. I would rather have Jesus than all the degrees in the world. And I can tell you as a Bible college student that having a diploma about God does not mean I know God. You can know about Michael Jordan. That doesn't mean you know him. You can know about Bill Gates. That doesn't mean you know. You can know about God. That doesn't mean you know him. And being a follower of Christ doesn't happen by osmosis, by the place you're sitting right now. Going to McDonald's does not make you a hamburger. Going to the bank doesn't make you a millionaire. And stepping on the dance floor don't mean you can dance, baby. So coming to church doesn't make you a disciple. It's how you live that counts. This is what Paul said. He said, I want to know the righteousness that comes from faith in Christ because what comes by the law does not satisfy. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. Everybody say faith. Thank you. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Somebody say, I got the power. He said, I want to know the power that comes through the resurrection of Christ. It comes by faith. The Greek word for faith is pistis. It means to trust and to put your hope into something. We would look at it as a demonstration. Somebody coming on the stage, close your eyes and fall back in the pastor's hand. Do you have faith that pastor will catch you? There was once a man that would come around to different people's towns in the carnival and he would get on a unicycle and he would ride his little unicycle around. They set up a barbed wire against, uh, you know, two sides about 100 feet up under the big tent and he would move his little uh, bicycle, unicycle around. He would blindfold himself and then he said, guys, as a part of my grand finale in this city, I'm going to cross over a, a big crevasse. I'm going to go over this canyon about 1,000 feet high. Will you come out? And all the 
people made noise. He said, do you believe I can do it? They all made noise. And so he said, meet me tomorrow. And as they went over there the next day, he was there. And he said, guys, how many believe I can do it? They shouted out, we believe you can do it. He said, how about blindfolded? They said, we believe you can do it blindfolded. He said, how about blindfolded with somebody on my shoulders? Ah, they shouted out. And then he picked out the one shouting the loudest. Then you get on my shoulders. Oh, no. You see, we as Christians think our belief is more like make-believe. Well, I believe in God. Well, you don't act like you do. I don't see you riding on his shoulders in life. You still do it your way, raise your family your way, talk your way, have your job, your, your money, and it's all your way right away. And when you die, you're going to be like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way, and you bust hell wide open. You can't go to heaven your way. You don't have God's cell phone number, and I don't care if you're BFS with Ashton Kusher. You don't have his Twitter either. The only way to heaven, Jesus said, is through him. He said to all of the people of his time, he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is one mediator between man and God, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. We all look up at the 16 chapels, and we see this painting of God reaching out his hand to Adam. And religion, Buddhism, Islam teaches what man can do to try to touch God. I just want to touch God. I'll meditate more. I'll change my diet. I'll go to church more. Listen to me. You can never touch God. God had to reach his hand out of heaven in one hand into gutter and bring the gutter and the glory together on the cross of Jesus Christ. There is only one person that can touch their hand into heaven and to touch down to where you are and to bring the two together. Paul said there is no righteousness that I find on my own, I let myself down. You ever make promises you don't keep? Well, I'm, well, I'm going to do better this year. I'm going to lose weight this year. Forgive me, Lord. Well, I'm going to treat my wife better this year. Well, well, me and my girlfriend, we're going to get married this year. Well, well this year I'm going to change the way I talk to my husband or wife. Paul said there was no righteousness from him trying to keep the law. When I see this empty grave with Jesus, you know what it says to me? Jesus makes dead people live. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He didn't come to help you out with some of the nicks and dents on your car. He didn't come to be some effeminate re redesigner. Well, we're just going to put a little topaz up in this baby. Okay, come on. We're just going to redo your floor with marble. No, Jesus comes. Fellas, pull out the dump truck. Pull out the wrecking ball. Boop, boop, boop. Tear it down and rebuild it. For whoever is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old has gone the new has come. Jesus has not come to be your GPS upgrade on your Lexus. Well, honey, do you think we need the GPS? I think we're okay without it. Oh, would you think we need Jesus? I'm okay. No, you're not. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life, my friend. He is the only way. This world is sinking. He is the only salvation. And Paul said... When I try to get on the rat race of good works and make myself a better person, change myself, he said, I never can. He said, but I found a faith in Christ because he had resurrection power. When was the last time you heard of somebody raising themselves from the dead? Lee Strobel, an atheist who worked at the Chicago Tribune as a lawyer in the early 80s, mocked God was an atheist. His wife became a Christian. He showed up to the pastor, and he said, Pastor, I'm going to tell you, I'm a lawyer. I do this for a living. I'm going to take the weekend to investigate your Christian claims, and I will disprove it and be back next week. Within two years of him studying night and day, he converted to Christianity, and he said there was one thing I couldn't disprove is what happened to that man who walked the shores of Galilee who was born in Bethlehem and came from Nazareth surely he must have been who he said he was 
C.S. Lewis, the great atheistic philosopher who wrote Miss at Oxford and a friend of J.R.R. Tolkien who wrote the, the trilogy of the, of the Lord of the Rings. He himself did the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. He was an atheist and he hated God. He blamed God for World War II and all of the genocide he witnessed living in Europe at that time. And so one day he studied the Bible and he said, I will categorize the Bible as myth. I will search out its roots and find all of the myth that is within the Bible. Worked at Oxford in the literary department. And after reading and studying the Bible, he said, oh, there's a problem. All of these make-believe stories seem to point back to this truth that there was a God, that we were created, there was a flood, and this person named Jesus, he either was a liar or a lunatic or a Lord, but he couldn't have been just a good man. And as he was studying, he said he wasn't a liar because people followed him. He wasn't a lunatic. The world was changed by him. He must have been who he said he was, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, you may be going through something today. You may be saying that all of this, Pastor, I don't believe, but I'm encouraging you put your faith in Jesus because as surely as he rose from the dead, your life can change today. Would you stand on your feet? Give him one more hand clap of praise. The place is packed. Your armpits may be sweaty, but give God some praise. Come on. Jesus. Maybe it's just me that's sweaty. Before we take communion today, we're going to pray for those who want to accept Jesus. Altar workers, would you come? This is a part of our service that represented, it's representative of the times of Jesus. Jesus always said to people, come. If you want to follow me, come. He said to Peter, Peter, lay down your nets and come. In Spanish, what is it, ven? Ahora. Fuego. Got to put that in there. Peter, come. John, come. Jesus was always about saying, come on. Why? Because if you follow Jesus, you go where he goes. You do what he does. And you receive what he has. Let's pray. Bow our head and close our eyes. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. The name that is above every name. That name that every knee shall bow and proclaim, Lord. Today I pray in that name that my friends, if they're here today and they don't know you, or they've turned their back on you, or they're doing something that betrays you, Lord, I pray that today they make it right. With everybody's head bowed and eyes closed. Do you want to know what Judas did that night? He came up to Jesus and betrayed him with a kiss. Do you know what Jesus said to Judas as he came? You want to know what Jesus called him? Jesus said, friend, do what you've come to do. Jesus even called Judas friend. My friends, you might have betrayed Jesus, but he's still calling you friend. You might be living a life that you're ashamed of, but Jesus is still calling you friend. You might want to walk out of here and just say, oh, I'm just going to put that service behind me. But, but if there was a chance for me to change, I, I would do it if it was real. Listen, God is calling you friend. I'm going to begin to pray, and when I do, I'm praying specifically. This last prayer is for those that need Jesus. And then I'm going to ask you to come. Why? Because he's worth coming forward for and receiving prayer. I'm praying one more time. Father, now I ask that there'll be no fear, that there'll be no embarrassment in this huge place of people coming forward and accepting Jesus because, God, you're worth following. And if nobody follows them, it's worth it for them to follow you. If you're in this place right now and you would say, Pastor, I'm one of those that need to follow Jesus. Every head bowed and eyes closed. Just begin to raise your hand right now. Come on, I'm helping you get some courage. Hands going up all over this place. You would say, Pastor, I'm one of those that just need to follow him right now. 
Just raise up your hand. Father, you see those whose hands are raised. I pray on the count of three, God, they'll have strength to come and they won't be ashamed of you. One, Jesus is worth giving your life to. Two, he rose from the dead so that you can live again. If you're ready to come, one, two, three, come right now. Christians, lift up your hands and begin to start praying that more will come because right now we're fighting against any devil, any evil that would hold them back. Come on. We rebuke the devil. We rebuke evil and heartbreak. Come on, come quickly. Quickly, Jesus is in this place. We're asking sinners to come and to repent before a holy God. Christian, if you need to bring somebody with you, ask them that you brought them with you. If you want to come, and let them come with you quickly. 30 more seconds. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. He wasn't ashamed of you. We break the powers of Satan. We call forth every lost sheep to come home. Don't say you'll do it later. Do it right now. Come to Jesus right now. Come on, family. Some of you need to come to Jesus as a family. Brother, turn down the music just a little bit. Come on, some of you need to come as a family. Come on, there's more. We're not going to make you to come, but we will wait just a moment longer. Come on, there is a new life waiting for you. Don't worry about what people think. Jesus thinks you're awesome. Jesus says you're His. I feel some of you are making excuses. You're saying, you're not so bad. Well, I'm not so bad, Pastor. Yes, you are. Stop making excuses. Come. Jesus is here to save. There's more. We're going to give a few more moments. Come on, there is more. Christians, keep praying. Just raise your hands up and just say, Jesus, bring them. Bring them, Jesus. Come on, if your heart's beating fast, I know some of you right now, your heart's beating, and you're going, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Yes, that's you, come. Give it up for Jesus. Don't be a Judas where at the end your heart gets so hard and you can't hear his voice anymore. If you're here today and you still feel his love, there's a chance for you. There are some of you who are backsliders. You say, Pastor, I know all of this, but I haven't been living it. You need to come now. Quickly come. Quickly, there's more. Jesus, as you're up here, we're praying love over you. Those who are being prayed for, we pray love over you, grace and forgiveness. New life right now. Christians, come on, pray for those that are here. Oh, God, we thank you for new life. We thank you, God, and we thank you for those that still are going to come. Don't leave out of your friends until you do. If you want to look at your neighbor, just say, neighbor, are you sure? Are you 100% sure that if you died, you would go to heaven? Are you close with Jesus? Come on, look at your neighbor if you know him well enough. Neighbor, are you, are you right with God? Are you one of his? We plead with you today. Get right with God. Make your peace with God today. If you're praying, keep praying. But I'm going to ask that all those who can hear my voice and even those that are praying, say this with me today. It's a prayer of declaration. Everybody say this with me. Jesus, I believe in you, that you died on the cross for me, and that you rose again on the third day. I confess my sins to you today. Forgive me and come into my life. I'm going to give you as the congregation some moments to repent. The Bible says, don't take communion with a dirty heart. Some of you who are Christians, you need to get some junk out right now. Come on. 
God, cleanse from pornography. Cleanse from sexual immorality. Cleanse from addictions. Cleanse from bitterness. Cleanse from greed. God, take it out, God. Take it out today. Jesus, your blood was spilt to wash us white as snow. You are the one, God, who can forgive and change. Come on, some of you Christians need to get the junk out. Don't act like you're better than anyone in this place. Live holy before a holy God, the Bible says. Now everyone keep praying with me. Say, Jesus. Say it like you mean it. Say, Jesus. I declare that I will love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and that I'll love my neighbor as myself. If you love Jesus, clap a hand, clap a praise. We're going to ask that the communion would come forward. If you're praying, keep praying. I'm still in an attitude of prayer. We're now going to begin. Dear brother, just turn it down for me, please. We're now going to pray for communion. This is how we take communion here. And even with those praying, it doesn't distract us. Thank you for still praying. Communion doesn't save, but it's a representation of your salvation. That Jesus' blood and that his body was broken for you. Just softly for me, brother, please, in the back. In our church, we're going to help you take communion the way we do. It's very simple. We're going to help you come up row at a time. But this is what we ask, that you take it back at your seats together with whoever you came with. If you came with family, you take it with family. If you came with friends, why do we want you to take it with others? Because we want your love to be known to others and to have a community experience here. So we're going to pray. Why? Because we believe that families, as they take communion, can make dedications today and say it's going to be different when we go home, kids. Dad's going to live for Jesus. Children can look at their parents and say, Mom, I'm going to live for Jesus. So as I pray for this communion, we're going to ask you to come forward. And please don't don't be in a hurry today. We'll pray a dismissal after this. Father, I thank you for the blood that was sacrificed for us and shed on the cross. Lord, I pray that as we receive that grape juice today, God, that we remember that there's nothing that washes us white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We pray for cleansing in this place. And Lord, we also ask you to bless this weight for God that represents your flesh that was torn apart for our healing. By your wounds, we are healed. Lord, we ask that this time of communion will be communion with you and with our family because we dedicate our lives to you today. In Jesus' name, would you follow the usher's instructions and begin to come? Brother, you can turn that back up. Thank you.
God. Thank you, God. As you're taking it together, just then turn your heart towards God. Just say hallelujah. Hallelujah. It means praise the Lord in Hebrew. Oh, hallelujah. We thank you for new life, God. We praise you, Jesus. Some of you just need to start praising him after you've received it. After you've taken communion, just start to praise him. Tell him thank you. Thank you for your family. Thank you for another day to live. He's been good to you. Thank him. Oh, God, you're worth it. You're worth all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, God. We love you, God. Be with our families. Be with our children, Lord. Oh, God, we pray a blessing today over our families. We pray for moms and dads to love each other the way you made them to love. We pray for children, God, to honor their parents. Oh, Lord, God, we ask you to bless us, young adults, singles, God, that they'll live for you. Be single-minded on you, God. Become the passion of our lives, Jesus. Oh, you've been good to us. You deserve it. No one else has done it for us but you. You deserve it, God. You deserve our lives, God. Would you stand to your feet to me if you're done? That way I'll know who's done today. We had Palm Sunday last Sunday, but you know what? I got some palms right now that I want to wave before God. Come on, just some of you wave your palms. What does that mean? That just means you love Jesus. It means that you're not afraid to praise, and this is a form of praise. Barak, wave your hands before a holy God. And just thank him. Just thank him. Come on, you're living today. I just did a wake Thursday. Man threw himself in front of a train. You have no idea how hard life can get for some. If you're one of those in here, you need to thank him. He died on the cross for you. Your life can change. For, for those of us who's already been changed, just thank him. He's worth it. Father, now we pray and ask you to bless every family here as we roll out, God. Grab somebody's hand if you can. One last prayer over every person here. God, I thank you for them. God, I pray you bless them. We don't know what this week has in store, but Lord, I pray they come back maybe for the Wednesday with their family, maybe to a life group, or just back on Sunday, God. But Lord, we take honor and privilege in every person here. Bless them this week. Let them remember that resurrection power is faith in Christ, and it's living on the inside. It's a new life, God, and I pray we never forget it. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you say amen? We're going to keep praying up here, taking communion. Come up to this altar if you want to meet my wife and I. Those that were in the overflow, just keep that prayer music playing. Come on up. We'll pray for you. Some of the workers, if you want to take communion. But hang out in the cafe. Go get your pictures taken, and we'll see you next week. You're dismissed. God bless you.